Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, we're going to go over the fats, fuels, and oils forecast for the week of April 12th. Today, I have Ryan Stander with us. He's going to get into the fats and oils segment of this. If you have questions along the way, go ahead and drop them in the Q&A, and we'll get to them at the end of Ryan's presentation. You can also drop them in there during his presentation. So as you think of questions, drop them in the Q&A section. We'll get back to them. Uh, Ryan, you want to take it from here? Yeah. So uh, this week, we focused on the choice white grease market. Uh, it's forecast midpoint of 46.32 cents FOB Missouri River. That's up from the March average price, but that's actually down from the current trading level. I think we have 46 to 49 on there today for the Missouri River market. That's starting to fall more towards the lower end of that, that pricing range. Uh, I think there were even a few 50s, maybe 50 and a half late last week uh, and yesterday. And I don't think that those are gonna be there, you know, onesie twosie type loads. That's starting to go away. Uh, why? A big reason is corn. Uh, March hit a record high price relative to corn and choice wet grease. I think it was, 468 or 464%. So that's 154 percentage points over the prior three year average for March. Uh, when values get to be above 400%, you tend to, or feed buyers tend to, to kick out choice white grease in favor of more corn. They'll look for other cheaper lipid choices. Uh, there aren't a whole lot of those around, but uh, there's just reformulations that kick in and it gets to be too expensive. I think additionally, there's pressure on the biodiesel side. We've seen rent prices come off a little bit. And so that lowers the uh, buying ideas from biodiesel. Uh, and really those are the two main uh, demand sectors. Um, production uh, continues to be tight. Uh, we're expecting it to be tight uh, moving into the summer months. And that's why we have prices increasing again, heading into June. Um, Tori has a higher soybean oil forecast as well. Same thing with corn. We're expecting those prices to get up to $6 a bushel. Uh, here in the, the June-July window, and that's going to add some strength to the choice white market. But here for the short term, we're expecting things to, to soften up a bit. Uh, there appears to be a good amount of material in rail cars floating around as well. So that's pressuring the market. Uh, we saw a 15 and a half trade yesterday in Chicago. Uh, additionally, there's some uh, cheaper corn oil out there, and that's pressuring the market as well. If buyers can buy, you know, 46, 47, 48 cent distillers corn oil, uh, they're, they're not going to pay 50 cents for, for choice weight grease. Let's feed in on the biofuel side of the business. Um, that really covers it. I mean, there, there's a not a lot to the choice white market. It's, it's really volatile. I guess I should say uh, more important than the relative price to soybean oil, more important to corn is just the, the sentiment in the market. And there's a negative sentiment right now. Buyers are really pushing back on, on high price levels. I think the market got a little bit overcooked coming into April and uh, it's correcting to the downside. So that negative sentiment, the increase in supply in the DCO market, the heavier supply of rail material is really pushing that market back. So we're gonna see things correct to the downside in the near term before uh, rebounding and following that corn and soybean oil market uh, higher heading into the, the summer months. Um, yeah, that really covers it with that. Uh, George, happy to take any questions that uh, anybody has on anything out there. Okay. Uh, first question we have, what's behind the corn oil downturn? Okay. Um, I think the anticipation of heavier supply is one. Uh, you have more production expected to come online. I think ADM announced that their Cedar Rapids, Iowa and Columbus, Nebraska plants, both of them I think are over 300 million gallons a year are refiring. So that puts a significant amount of uh, corn oil into the market. 
I think there's some downtime that's come this month or is coming at the second half of this month from a, a major buyer that's also put some down pressure on the market. And then again, I think things just got overcooked uh, relative to soybean oil. Some of the all veg feeders were paying as much as 60 to 62 cents per pound uh, delivered. And that's not a sustainable level for, uh, uh, for, for feed ingredients. So there were some reformulations that kicked in for April and that's uh, pushed, pushed the market back. Uh, there appears to be a slowdown of demand into the Gulf as well. Um, there's some imported BFT that's worked its way into the market, and that seems to have pressured the overall feedstock market lower. So I think all of those have contributed to the uh, near-term downturn, and then there's some lower bids out there for the uh, forward months for May and, and June as well. Okay. Uh, Ryan, the next one, uh, I'm going to reword this question a little bit, but anything with the African swine flu in China, um, has it affect the U.S. markets in any way, and has that been priced in? That, I think, has kind of worked in over the last year. What could, and a reason we don't see a, a, a dramatic decrease in prices is the production limited. So production is expected to decline heading into to May and through May on the uh, pork side of things. Seasonally, that happens every year. So that's no big surprise. What the ASF could do, there's a shortage for protein in China. If there's more offal or more raw material that might go into rendering in the U.S., it gets shipped into China. That further tightens the market. Uh, we've heard of some of this happening on the uh, in the east, and so that's supported some of the other markets. We've seen higher yellow grease and higher poultry fat markets because of an overall tightness in fat in the, the southeast and east, and that could be tied to uh, uh, protein demand driven by ASF shortages. Okay. Um, what is the demand forecast for renewable diesel in 2025? And do you expect the demand and supply to be balanced in 2025? Uh, so demand, so that's a, there's a lot in that question. That's, a, um, so, that's an outlook report covers that for the most part, correct? Yeah, I would say that's something that you could look to the outlook report for. Um, I mean, the 2025, I'd have to go and reference it, you know. Um, yeah, shoot me an email and, and we'll uh, help you out with that. But big buyer, big renewable diesel production. And uh, I think that there's going to be some, you get some answers from the balance sheets on that one. Okay. And I'll, uh, I'll pull that link up while you're answering this next question. I'll drop the link in the chat for that. Um, primary offtake for choice white grease is biodiesel, biomass-based diesel production. Is that the same for most animal fats like BFT? Um, primary offtake for choice white grease. Yeah, I, I don't know if I understand that question. Can you rephrase that a little bit? Primary offtake. I mean, I, I, demand sector-wise, it's a split we'll, typically between feed and biofuels. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll ask to rephrase that, and we'll come yeah. back to that question. Um, how much lard and tallow do we usually import in Q1? How much are we anticipating lard and tallow imports to grow? So lard, I would say zero on the imports. Most of the lard gets not most of it, but it's a net export. A lot of that goes to Mexico. Um, we expect that to continue. There's, you know, strong demand for, for lard from, from Mexico for, uh, like human consumption. Um, if you've ever been into a Mexican restaurant and had chicharrones, I know why they're delicious. Um, as far as tallow, it, U S has always been a net exporter of tallow because there's been more, um, produced than there has been interior demand. 
that's starting to, I mean, I, we're still a net exporter, but we're st starting to see trade flows shift. So Australia, New Zealand was low priced relative to the US in January and February. And so that's why we saw a buyer step in and take advantage of that market. There may be a little bit more protective buying or defensive buying that happens in that Australia, New Zealand market moving forward with uh, um, those buyers there knowing that the U.S. will come in and take advantage of arbitrage opportunities. But I think it's something to expect in the future that we'll see more material come into the U.S. Um, we won't know the exact total until May when the import figures are released by the USDA, but I've heard it's 15 to 20,000 metric tons that landed in the uh, U.S. in March, which is a significant amount of tallow. Okay. This question is probably more directed at Bob Lane, but what's driven the pullback in California LCFS pricing in the last two weeks? Yeah, Bob could give a better answer to that, but my, I suspect it has to do with, uh, with credit supply and maybe um, concern over if there's, this is just a, a guess on my part, but uh, less credit deficit generation due to fewer people driving, fewer people on the road, and maybe more people leaving the state and that's uh, pressured uh, the, the, the demand side of that. But Bob can give you a much better answer than I can. I'll drop his email in for a response so everybody yeah. can email him if you need to. Um, do you expect the waste feedstock prices overall to decline in H2 due to vaccination, summer season, et cetera? I think the second half, uh, I would say Q3, yes. I think that there's gonna be a little calm before the storm. And that's tied to increased supply um, and maybe a little decrease in, in, in the soybean oil and corn prices. So that forecast, if it's a little bit lower in that third quarter window, that should pressure the uh, animal fat prices or waste feedstock prices a little bit lower. With that said, the, the last half of the year, we're going to see explosive growth in renewable diesel demand. And I, I expect to see a similar um, increase in price along with that. Okay. Uh, got a couple more questions for you yet, Ryan. Uh, do you do you see a continuing trend on price correlation between tallow and soybean oil, or is there a potential for prices to disconnect at some point in the future with shifts in supply and demand balances? Yeah, I think the price correlation is not great. Uh, it depends on how you run, like the R squared figures. It can be as high as 0.8, which is a, a strong correlation. But if you run it just uh, uh, in pure linear fashion, it, it doesn't. It doesn't pencil out well. Um, I, you know, I could see it correlating maybe a little bit tighter in the future because it is a substitute. There are substitutes for each other in renewable fuels production. Uh, palm kind of follows soybean oil. And, and so uh, there's some relationship there. But at, at best, soybean oil is a good guide for the market, but it's not a good predictor of price. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but. Okay. <laughs> Ryan, uh, do labor shortages on the pork side of the business affect the grease market? Yeah, I think that that's what's um, creating a kind of a closer floor in the market is pork producers are struggling to find enough people um, up and down the supply chain to staff, whether it's the farms or it's the uh, the harvest facilities. Uh, I grew up in a, a town that had a pork packing plant, and I, I can tell you that it's very difficult for that plant to keep staffed. And I know that the Pork Producers Council is working with the government to um, ease some of the restrictions on, on visas to get more people in to staff those plants. And it's been cool to see the effect that that's had on the town I grew up in. It was a 10,000 person farming community that now has, you know, a 
grocery stores from from different communities across the world where that was um i think the most exotic thing we had when i was a kid was uh maybe cayenne and the salt and pepper but um yeah but yeah to, to, to go back into that yes it's going to continue to cause growth uh issues as the pork industry tries to expand to meet demand it's going to limit the uh, top side of, of the grease supply you know moving forward and it's going to continue to to limit the production here in the short term as, as staffing issues continue to limit uh, the, the headcount coming through the, the slaughterhouses. All right. Uh, the last question that I have, unless more come in, uh, what are tallow and lard prices in New Zealand and Australia today? Are they expected to trade at a discount to the U.S.? Uh, they're currently at a discount to the U.S., They, um, but not enough where I think an arbitrage opportunity works. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I can um, so take a look at our international bulletin. If you haven't seen it, it's just Animal Fats International. It's in there. I want to say it's close to uh, $1,000 per metric ton, maybe a little bit more, and it depends on the grade. But yeah, there is a slight discount to U.S., but not enough for the, the arbitrage opportunities open there. Okay. Uh, what spread supports imports? Follow uh, up to that. So greater than the, uh, the freight rate. So it depends on who your freight carrier is and how much you're importing and, and that sort of thing. And obviously freight rates are really high right now. Um, but as a rule of thumb, if it's greater than $100 a metric ton, then that, that arbitrage opportunity is open. And it depends on direction too. Like uh, whoever bought back in February bought at the February price. And then we saw what happened in the talent market from February to uh, late March. And obviously that, that price took off tremendously. So to buy at a discount to February for March arrival was a, a very good move for whoever bought that. Okay. Well, that's all the questions we have for today, Ryan. Uh, thank you for answering them in rapid fire succession. So uh, we'll take the recording of this. We'll be sharing this out later. Um, thank you all for attending and Ryan, thank you for your answers. Have a yeah. great one. Have a good one, everyone.